We're going to be reading this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. But I want to start out by just asking you a question. What's your earliest memories of Easter? When you think about Easter Sunday and you think way back there, for some of us it's way back than for others. For some of you it's your first Easter. For others it's your, well I won't say. When I thought about that this week, I thought about new clothes. How many of you got new clothes for Easter? New shoes, new clothes. Back then, you know, eight-year-old or whatever, how old I was, I wore a coat and tie. I, I thought I looked pretty snappy. I remember waking up, and at the foot of my bed would be an Easter basket full of candy. Any of y'all have those memories? So we remember Easter, but when did Easter become special? More than the new clothes, more than the candy. There's certain Easter candy, by the way, I don't like. Anybody here really like Peeps? I've tried to figure that out. You like Peeps? Casey, you like Peeps? If I get any today, I'll, I'll save them for you. Peeps are cool if you put them in the microwave. They blow up. But don't try that. Don't any kids try that at home because it will make a mess. But it becomes special when you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. When Easter is more than just a day on the calendar, and it's when you have a Savior that you recognize and you realize and you remember has risen from the dead. And so that's what Paul shares in this 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read through verse 20. We're not going to cover all of that, but I want to give you the context, and I want you to see what Paul's saying to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15 Verses 1 and following. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been risen from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we have even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has been not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if we have hoped in Christ in this life only. We're of all men most to be pitied. But now... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Paul's speaking to a group of believers in the first century Corinth. And he says really three things to them, and that's the three points of the message this morning. The impact of the gospel, 
the importance of the gospel and then the influence of the gospel. Paul says, I make known. Paul is addressing an issue that's highlighted in verse 12. We'll get to it in a minute. But he's saying, I want to remind you of something. And there's really the tense of the words that he uses here is a little bit of a rebuke. Because they were banking on, yes, Christ rose from the dead, but we're not going to rise from the dead. Think about that. If you've been told that you're going to be raised from the dead and people among you start dying, you start thinking, did we miss something? Paul even writes another letter where he addresses that issue. Listen, the dead in Christ will rise first. They're not going to miss out on anything. You don't have to worry about your loved ones who've trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. So Paul says, I'm reminding you of something that you already know. He's calling a witness to the stand. I want you to picture a courtroom where Paul calls the gospel to the witness stand. And he lifts that up and unpacks it. And that's what you're going to see in this passage today. I want to teach you a Greek word because it's important. It's the Greek word euangelion. Can you say that? Euangelion. That's pretty, pretty good. That means good news. That's the word gospel. So the word euangelion is the gospel. And so Paul says, I make known to you the gospel. That's it. I'm putting on the witness stand the gospel. And some people say, well, what is the gospel? Well, I'm about to tell you. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's what they preached in the first century, and hopefully it's what we're preaching today. Because if you're preaching something other than that, you're wasting your time. Paul says, I have make known to you the gospel. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you can know for sure that you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's what Paul's preaching to the church in Corinth because they had forgotten some of that. So he calls the gospel to the stand. And four things he says. So the impact of the gospel, first of all, he said, I preach to you. The reason I want you to learn euangelion is that the word appears here, and it's euangelizo, and it's the same thing. It's not what normally is referred to as preach. So normally when Paul or another New Testament writer uses the word preach, he uses a word you'll see later in the passage. But he basically is saying, I've got, we have gospeled you with the gospel. I preach the gospel to you. That's all Paul knew. That's all he could preach is the good news of a resurrected Lord. So he said, I've preached to you. I've announced good news. I've evangelized you. And you have received it. In order for the gift of God to be meaningful is, it's not only got to be offered, it's got to be received. God calls you to himself, but you have to trust him as your Lord and Savior. So Paul says, I preached, you received. Okay, on the witness stand, the church in Corinth is the jury, I suppose, in this case, and they're weighing the evidence. And Paul says, I've preached it, you've received it, and it's important to know Romans 10, 14 says, how then will they call on him whom they never believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear without somebody that tells them the good news? And you say, well, okay, I'm glad we got a preacher. I'm not the only preacher in this room. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a preacher. You're telling other people the good news. So Paul says, I've preached it. You have received it. The gift has been offered. You've received the gift. And you stand. You remain. You know you're in the right place. I don't know if you've ever gotten in the line at Walmart. You ever done that? You get in line at Walmart and you start noticing, I think that was moving faster than this one. But as soon as you get your buggy backed up, by the way, in the South they're called buggies, not shopping carts. You get your buggy backed up, by the time you get over to aisle 13, 
you now got a longer line. You're sitting there saying, I should have stayed in that one. Anybody ever done that? Well, if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've believed that, you don't have to go shopping for another checkout line. You're in the right place, and so you can stand there. You can remain there. You can abide in that spot because you're in the right spot. So I preached it. You've received it. You stand. And here's the good news. You are saved. You're saved. The word saved means to be delivered or protected, to be made whole. The gospel is the means that Christ brings salvation. Did you hear that? The good news of Jesus is what the gospel is, and it's what brings salvation to the believer. And he said, so I preached it, you've received it, you stand, you've, you've been saved, if you hold fast. And some would read that, because you've got to read the rest of what he's saying, some would read that, I guess I've got to hold on for dear life. Here's the good news. You can hold because you're being held. So if you think that this is the hand holding the gospel and the good news of Christ, he's holding you. And that's the promise we have in Scripture. Paul says, you know you're saved because you're holding on to the word that I preached unless you believed in vain. In other words, if your belief is empty, then it's no good. But if you've put your faith in Christ and you're standing there and you're not wavering from the left to the right, you know that you know that you know you have trusted Christ, your Lord and Savior. You don't have to go anywhere else. You can stand right there with full assurance, full confidence that you've been delivered, you've been protected, you have eternal life. So that's the impact of the gospel. Next is the importance of the gospel. Let me just remind us of these verses. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So Paul says, I delivered, I surrendered, I yielded up of first importance. Paul could have preached many things, but the one he said was the most important thing, most important message I could ever preach, and it's really all Paul ever preached, was the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have also received it. He received it. Paul says, I'm preaching what I received myself. Paul's saying, I didn't originate this. I didn't come up with this. This wasn't my idea. This was the message I received. And you remember where Paul received it? On the road to Damascus. Paul is traveling. What was he doing? His name was Saul at that time. What was he doing? He was going to persecute believers. He was going to arrest people, bring them back to jail, bring them back to account for their apostasy because they've turned from the Jewish faith to the Christian faith. And, and Paul would go and arrest them, bring them back. And at least in one occasion, in Stephen's occasion, Paul was in hearty agreement with having him put to death. So Paul's saying, I'm preaching what I've received. He received it face down on the road to Damascus when he encounters Jesus. And that's how he could be called an apostle. An apostle is one who's seen Jesus face to face. And Paul had done that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he said, I'm telling you what I received. First thing, Christ died for our sins. Christ died in your place. The people in Corinth, Paul's reminding them, he died for your sins. When you picture the cross, when you look at the cross, the cross is empty just like the tomb's empty. But who should have been on that cross? Me. Don't say amen to that because you should have been on that cross. He took your place. Christ died in your place for your sins. Sin required a payment. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the good news of Easter. So Christ died for our sins. And then he says according to the Scriptures. I love that. What scripture is he referring to? Well, he's really referring to the Old Testament. Jesus is prophesied throughout the Old Testament over 300 times. It talks about his birth, his death, his resurrection. 
in the Old Testament. Jesus is the Messiah. He fulfilled perfectly all of those Old Testament prophecies. And Paul's saying, this isn't some Johnny-come-lately theology. This isn't something I made up. It's not something God kind of came up with on the fly. This has been God's purpose since the beginning. He even announces it to Adam and Eve, what was going to happen. And so Paul says, according to the Scriptures, Christ died for our sins. He was buried. Well, why do you bury somebody? Because they're dead. Jesus was dead. It was proven by the spear pierced, pierced his side, blood and water, separated. He was dead. He was placed in a tomb. Some people have the theory, well, he was just pretending to be dead. You don't pretend to be dead. When the doctors check you out and you have no pulse left and you've had a spear placed in your side, these are experts at death. He was dead. Some people say well, he, he was wrapped in all those wrappings and, you know, hundreds of pounds of linen and spices and all that, and somehow he just woke up. They call that the swoon theory. He was just having a bad day. That's not the case. <laughs> Jesus was dead. He was buried because he was dead. And where was he buried? He was buried in a borrowed tomb, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And I love the thought of, you know what? He didn't use that tomb very long. Joseph was going to get it back three days later. So he was crucified for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Again, the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead was prophesied in Old Testament Scriptures. It was written about in the Gospel accounts. And Paul's writing some 20 years after the crucifixion, resurrection of Christ. And then he appeared. Do you catch the impact, the significance, the importance? He died for our sins. He was buried. He raised on the third day. And he appeared. Literally, it means to show oneself. And I think it's interesting when it says he appeared. Jesus appeared to the folks he chose to appear to. And Paul's going to give us a list. And you need to check the list out. But it's interesting to me, for example, Mary Magdalene. He appeared to her outside the tomb. Did you re remember? She really didn't recognize him. One reason she didn't recognize him was she wasn't looking for him. Why? Because she was convinced he was behind that stone she was going to have to roll away. When she got there and found out the stone had already been rolled away, and the angel says, he's arisen, I don't think she totally believed that until she saw him, thinking he was the gardener until he revealed, he chose to reveal her, himself to her. The two men on the road to Emmaus, they're having a conversation about everything that's just happened in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus comes up alongside of them and starts listening to their conversation, asking them questions. They didn't recognize Jesus at first until he said something that sparked them to understand and the blinders were taken off. Even the apostles themselves, when Jesus appears to them in the upper room, they at first didn't know who it was. He says, peace. And then he showed them the scars in his hands and his side, and they recognized, this is Jesus. Why was that? Well, I think part of it was they weren't looking for Jesus. The other part of it was, I think he had been glorified. He didn't look exactly the same. That gives me hope that I'm not going to look exactly like this in heaven for eternity. Don't anybody amen that either. So he died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, and then he appeared. First of all, to Cephas. I know you're tempted to look at that and say Cephas, but it's pronounced Cephas. Who in the world is Cephas? He's the man with three names, Simon, Peter, Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic for the rock. Peter is Greek for the rock. So Simon, Peter. Jesus appeared to Simon, Peter. Now, he appears to the women. This is interesting. I just want to point this out. The list that Paul gives us never mentions the women. Who's the first human that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection? A woman. The women. Not only Mary Magdalene, but other women that were with her. Paul never mentions her. And it may just be that in 
the court of law of the first century that women's testimonies didn't carry the weight that men's do. I'm sorry, but that may be why Paul only mentions men. He mentions, first of all, that he appears to Simon Peter or to Cephas. Why is that significant? What do you think Peter had been doing since Friday? Crucifixion. He has denied Jesus. Jesus said, you're going to deny me not once, but three times before the rooster crows. The last time he's warming himself beside a charcoal fire. And they come up and basically say, you're one of his followers. And he says, no, I'm not. He came close to cursing to say, I don't know the man. And then Jesus is crucified on the cross. He had to be devastated. He had to be ashamed. He had to feel guilty. And yet Jesus appeared to him. And he appears to him again on the seashore. And when he asked him, Simon Peter, do you love me? And it's interesting to note, the only other time the word charcoal fire is used is at that setting on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus has already laid a fire when the disciples get to the shore with the fish they've caught. And so standing around a charcoal fire, Peter has the opportunity to acknowledge that Jesus is Jesus. So he appears first to Cephas, then to the twelve. Well, let's do the math. The twelve referred to the apostles, but there weren't twelve of them anymore. What had happened to Judas? He had killed him. He had committed suicide. And Thomas wasn't there the first time. Later on he was. So really, when he appears to the twelve, that was the description of the apostles. But there's only ten of them in the room. And when he appears to them, they at first didn't recognize him. Then he appeared to more than 500 on one occasion. The Bible doesn't specifically say where this occurred. I think it may have been on that hillside in Galilee when he gives the Great Commission because it says some of them were still having a hard time believing. I don't think by this point the disciples were having a hard time believing, but over 500 people on one occasion. And it's interesting, Paul says, most of these remain until now. Why is he saying that? Because he's saying, go ask them. If you don't believe me, go ask them. And ask them this, have you seen Jesus? Oh, yeah, we saw him on a hillside in Galilee. Most of them remain until now. How long had it been? It had been about 20 years. By the time Paul writes to the church in Corinth, it was, it was like A.D. 50. Jesus died around A.D. 30. So 20 years had passed, but most people were still alive and were still able to give testimony. We saw Jesus, and they weren't recanting their testimony. In fact, the disciples were being put to death because of their testimony. If you were claiming something that wasn't true, and somebody said, I'm going to take your life, I'm going to hang you upside down, or I'm going to skin you alive, because that happened to some of the disciples. They were flayed alive. If you didn't really believe it, you would recant your testimony, but you couldn't because you knew the truth. Jesus was raised from the dead. He appeared to more than 500 on one occasion. He appeared to James. Scholars debate, who is this? It could have been one of the disciples named James. I think it's that half-brother of Jesus that writes the letter of James who was the leader in the first century church in Jerusalem. Why is that important? Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters. His brothers didn't believe in him. They were skeptical. They tried to protect Jesus from the cross. And so after the crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus appears to his brother, James. And I think this is James' conversion experience to say, I believe now. And it changed his life radically. Then he appeared to all the apostles, so the next time he appears, he appears to Thomas as well. You remember Thomas had told the other disciples when they said, hey, Jesus has been here, and he says, I I'm not going to believe it. I won't believe it unless I'm able to put my hands in the prints of the nail scars. Then when he sees Jesus, he doesn't need to put his hands there anymore. He realizes this is the Savior. So Jesus appears to the apostles. And then last of all, 
last of all, as one untimely born, literally one whose life was unable to sustain itself, a miscarriage of birth. He appeared to me also. So the gospel is important. Is important to Paul. How was important? How important is it to you? Last thought. The influence of the gospel. The influence of the gospel. We've looked at the impact, the importance. Last, the influence, and the influence we're going to see is on the life of Apostle Paul. If your life's been changed, if you've encountered Christ as a living Savior, if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your life will change. You're not the same person anymore. In fact, Paul's name changed from Saul to Paul. And Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me. And I am the least of all the apostles. Literally, I'm the smallest. I'm not to be noticed. I'm un- totally unworthy. Well, none of us are worthy. So Paul says, I'm not even fit to be called an apostle. I'm not confident. I'm not ample. Why? Because Paul knew who he was. Paul was a persecutor of the first century church. Paul's thinking, how could Jesus love somebody like me? How could he forgive somebody like me? And how could he put somebody like me in the ministry? I mean, it's it's one thing to be a sinner. We all are. But it doesn't get much worse than what Paul was doing. Paul was persecuting the church of Christ. In fact, when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, do you remember what Jesus said? Paul, why are you persecuting me? It was personal. And so Paul says, I'm not fit to be called an apostle, but by God's grace. If you don't hear me say anything else, I want you to hear me say this. Grace is God's undeserved favor. Grace is receiving something you do not deserve. So if you hear Paul's testimony, I was the chief of sinners. I'm the least of all. And you look and think, no, I'm worse than he is. Well, first of all, no, you weren't. (laughs) But God's grace applies to you as well. You come to Christ not based on your own merit. You come to Christ not based on the fact, look what I've done for you, God. Look at my perfect attendance. Look at my Bible memory. Look at this, that, or the other thing. Look at nothing. Nothing earns you his salvation, and nothing can keep you from it because of his grace. Grace. Paul says, because of his grace, I am what I am. This applies to you, too. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a child of God. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that today. And the past becomes the past. Paul writes also to the Corinthians and says, We are brand new creations. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Folks, that's good news. That's why we celebrate a risen Savior, because we are what we are now, not because of ourselves, but because of the grace of God. I am what I am. And His grace did not prove vain. It's not empty. In fact, Paul says, I labored more than all of them. Paul was zealous before he comes to faith in Christ. Paul was as zealous as he could be persecuting Christians. So he's the same zealous once he comes to faith in Christ. He learns about, I mean, if if you think about it, Paul was a Jew among Jews. He knew the Old Testament. So as soon as he made the connection that Jesus is the Messiah, all of that Old Testament prophecy started making sense to him. He became, became a teacher of it because he's now teaching it from a messianic standpoint. So Paul says, I am what I am. His grace did not prove in vain. And I labored more than all of them. I labored. I worked harder than anybody. But not I. The grace of God is in me. 
Paul gives all credit to God. Paul even says in one of his other letters to the Philippians, listen, I was a Jew among Jews. I had, I had the pedigree. I had the resume. I had the background. And yet I look at that now and think that is nothing but rubbish. It's fit for the trash. Because I was a persecutor of Christians. But I am what I am now. But not me, but the grace of God within me. So he closes by saying, so we preach and you believe. Here the, pre- the word preach is to herald, is caruso. It's not the evangelism or, or gospel word, it's the preach word. And it's the word that you and I are called to. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we've got to tell somebody. We've got to tell people who don't know Jesus, who are walking through life hopeless. Listen, this has been a hard year for everybody. And I can't imagine people who've lost loved ones due to COVID or other things that don't have the hope of a resurrection within them and the hope of that resurrection for their loved one. We've had funerals in this chapel in the last few months from people who have died. Well, we celebrate their life because we know they've trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're with Jesus. So we preach, you believe, literally to have faith in. So my question as we close is this. Have you believed? And what difference has it made in your life? When you look at the change that was brought about in the Apostle Paul's life, you have to ask yourself the question, am I really a believer? Has there been a change in my life? I'm not talking about your church attendance. I'm talking about the fact that God has showed up in a large way in your life, and you realize I'm not the guy I used to be. But by the grace of God, I am today what I am, and that is I'm a child of God, saved, forgiven, and put on mission for him. Let's pray together.